Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Meredith Cranmer, I'm so excited to have you here on the She's the Boss Chats podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to the chat. Yeah, so, well, let's kick off with, and I don't know very much about you at all, so tell me what, tell me and everyone listening what it is that you do and why you do it. I am the co-founder and MD of Because Creative Experiences. We are a brand experience agency and we create extraordinary experiences that connect people with brands. Um, and we do that for household names like Woolworths, AGL Energy, um, Carlton United Breweries. Um, very much set in the experience making sort of camp, um, content creation and, and, and brand activation. And it's um, an exciting industry. Why do I do what I do? Because I just love it. <laughs> it's very, very nerdy. <laughs> All right. Well, so so let me just ask you some questions for people that may not be familiar with um, when you're talking about brands. You are talking about companies that have and 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 then how do you do an experience for a company? What do you mean by that? Well, Is that, that like be something like imagine yourself at the, the the Australian Open and you know you've bought your ticket to the event and you know arguably you know you went to the tennis but you didn't watch much tennis did you because you're too busy hanging out you know at the bars and at the experiences and things like that and you know um, you might not know but that's you know a brand has created that experience so that you can have a really one to one experience with them and ultimately to um, as sort of permission-based marketing. So advertising sort of talks at you, whereas the disciplines that we work with it are very much about sort of that two-way dialogue between people. So that experience could be real life face-to-face or it could be online. It could be a, a virtual kind of experience where, you know, where it's an opportunity for you to participate with a brand. Ooh, interesting. I'm going to really enjoy this conversation. So, um, tell me, so, uh, so I'm going to sort of swap all my questions around because I think we should start with, tell me about your journey. Cause I bet when you left school, you didn't say when I grow up, I want to do brand experiences. So how did that all happen? No, I started my career. I was very, um, throughout high school, I was really into radio and I loved, I uh, did a lot of volunteering in radio. And then I went to the New Zealand broadcasting school, which is kind of New Zealand's flagship broadcasting school. And I studied radio. And I right. started my career in that and I really enjoyed it. But what I didn't, I, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have gone into commercial radio. I should have probably gone into um, more sort of state-based kind of thing, which would have probably led me more into the more specialized path. But anyways, I went into the commercial realm and um, I was a bit sort of jaded with that after, uh, jaded by 21 kind of thing. Wow. <laughs> Is it that bad? <laughs> well, I just felt for me, you know, I was working seven days a week. I'm a grafter. You know, that, that didn't bother me. I right. felt I was working seven days a week. I was the reality of, you know, I loved music and I loved programming, but, you know, I was, you know, sort of down at car yards and I could kind of see that there wasn't, I couldn't see my future within that industry within New Zealand. So I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to, Pack my bags and I moved and to Melbourne. Go. But talk to me. Hang on a minute. What what were you doing in car yards? Like what kind of radio were you doing? Well, that would be like the, the marketing and promotions kind of of it. So it's literally oh, you're you're right. doing the live broadcast, you know, from which are so bad, particularly when when you know they don't have a lot of money and they say, oh, you know, the radio station says we'll do it for you. So you had to go down and do that. You know, listen to the guy and try and sound interested when he said his used car lot was really interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Right. So, exactly. so from there, and, well, you, you decided know, to get out. Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, and, you know, there were some great moments within that. Like, you know, I did, you know, organise, you know, a huge event at Auckland Sky Tower, a big outside broadcast, and there was lots of things I loved about it, but I just, I felt that I worked very hard for very little return, and I just thought, you know, actually what was interesting me more was the marketing and brand side of it, and I loved yeah, right. the staging of events. So, um I went to Melbourne um, just with the intention of bumming around for a bit and working in a cafe. I met my now husband who's English who was backpacking. We traveled around Australia and, you know, had lots of fun up the East Coast, you know, eat awesome. fruit picking, all that jazz. Went via Asia and landed back in England and, and London. Um, oh, so, so hang on. So you came to Australia, traveled with him, and then did you get married here? No, no, went to London. So your boyfriend and girlfriend over to see his family, his friends, and live a bit of a life in England? Yeah, and do my great, oh, no, do my big OE there, probably a lot sooner than I had envisaged. Um, and then, so yeah, London was, that was meant to be a bit of a sort of stopgap for, you know, like a year or so while we, you know, plan to get ourselves you know around to South America that sort of stuff but and think, was you know, there an intention that you'd come back to Australia eventually or New Zealand or New Zealand really had always stage. been sort of in my vision I'd always want to get over to back to this side of the world so when I was in England you know it was actually really hard for me to start with because I'd moved over there not with that sort of backpacky kind of mindset kind of thing like I was you know living in Kent with you know my boyfriend at the time and you know it just wasn't and I wasn't moving in the same sort of circles so um, it was quite hard for me to start with I didn't really have enough work experience to be able to translate to anything right. really you know uh, so yeah. I um you know, I had obviously had, you know, I thought I had huge, great experience, but people always want you to have way more when you've just moved to a country. And also when you go to London as an Australian or a Kiwi, you kind of think, look, it's going to be great because I was, I was kind of like, you know, doing really well in Australia and they just kind of go, oh, you're Antipodean. Um, I mean, I, d I did find that they said they loved employing Australians, but they, I don't know, you just sort of feel a bit inferior at first anyway. Yeah, and it's like the world is just, you just realise how much smaller your world that you've yeah. come from really is, which is probably a wonderful naivety So, in some ways. So, yeah, I sort of tempt at um, the Kent County Council and the IT department for a while. Ooh, cool. <laughs> um, very glamorous. <laughs> and then I got a job working in a packaging firm doing like sort of promotional kind of stuff with brands. So, like what I now know is like partnership marketing and sales promotion. Right. Yeah. And from there, I did a couple of years um, there and that was really good because I got to work on like lots of big accounts like Sainsbury's and Tesco and work with sort of get really, I guess, my understanding of how England and the UK and Europe actually works. Like, what are the brands? What's the media landscape? That sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Have lots of Big fun. Big learning curve because it's quite different. Even though people think it's very similar, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and also there's a lot more international stuff, I think, over there than we ever experience here. 100%. So, yeah, then I – um I saw a job advertised, you know, it was through a recruiter and it was for Because and I went for it – and I sort of, I guess I pitched myself that I had this sort of branded experience from the UK, but I also had this events and broadcast background, but really what I wanted to do was sort of marketing and events. And at the time, um, the agency were looking for somebody who had that supermarket experience, which is what I had in the UK, which was, you know, very, very valuable to them. And yeah. I totally faked it till you make it. Like, you know, suddenly I'm walking into this agency, you know, got a job where I'm looking after a two million pound budget. I don't even know how to do Excel properly you know there's just I'm literally crying and how old were day. you I was like 
oh, probably like 25, 26 then. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So only a few years in the workforce and a couple of years in in England. Yeah. And you know when you're just like – was because a big agency over there then? Yeah, you know, we were probably about probably about thirty or forty people. But in terms of brand okay. experience, we were one. Of, we were sort of top of the league tables, fastest growing. We had you know huge accounts with you know people like Heineken UK and and some of the programs that I'm working on were like were, were really quite quite a big deal. And I just really yeah. obviously I didn't ha- I did have a clue, but I in my in myself I didn't think I had a clue. But somehow you sort of wing it kind of thing and you know things things flourish from there and that's you know I spent you know five wonderful years um at because in London and did the things like going to Ibiza with the client and you know just all that all that sort of fun stuff and I'd always wanted to start uh, I had this thing that I wanted to start an agency and I remember saying to our and my um, now business partner you know who's our CEO and global founder I'd love to start an agency one day and then Suddenly, before you know it, you know. He's gone. It Was it a he or a she? She. she. She's just gone bing, 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 bing. I'll just tuck that one away for when I'm ready to expand. Totally. It, it, it was exactly that. And, you know, my husband and I were thinking after we, we got married in New Zealand and then we came back to um, England and, you know, we were sort of tossing up about whether we're going to move to New Zealand or where we'd go to. And as it happened, his company, there was an opportunity where he could um, move over to Australia. And I, for me, I felt more comfortable I probably in my gut was like it was going to be difficult for us to move back to New Zealand and there'd be a lot of pressure on me kind of thing to make everything amazing for him kind of thing and you know which is which is so wrong um because it wouldn't have been like that but I think when that opportunity came up it was like well that's Sydney feels a lot closer to New Zealand than London um yes and that's and warmer yeah and beaches yeah exactly (laughs) and tea that doesn't have skin on it (laughs) exactly so you know it's sort of that's you know, that's how the move happened. And then suddenly, you know, I'm starting an agency in a country that I've never worked in before. And obviously I've never started a business before or anything. So, you know, there was, it was literally sort of me and my laptop and my mobile phone. And one day I called my husband 26 times. He told me because <laughs> I had, oh like, my God. No but I mean, so you were, were you excited? Were you getting support from the UK? Were they being very supportive? Yeah, I took it. Yeah, we did a three year deal and it was pretty motivating. So I had a, um, I had a £150,000, which I could borrow to. I worked for half my market rate. Um, and we did a 70 30 shareholding. So I was 30% to start with. They were 70%. Once I'd paid back the capital, I needed to loan first year, cash neutral second year, pay back the loan third year. Okay. Um, and when that loan was paid back, I would shift into being 70% shareholder and they would be 30%. And then there'd be a licensing sort of fee. So look, it was motivating enough for there to be skin in the game. Um, cause I yeah. think that, you know, it's not like I was starting, it's not like we're an independent owner operated network. It's not like I had an established brand to leverage, but, and although the world is a lot smaller now, and especially because of LinkedIn, you know, even with an established brand, starting an agency or a business is is, is hard. No, know? and also it was established in the UK. It wasn't established here. People, so. Yeah, and people had no idea what it is. But it was, a, it, I mean, how lovely in, in terms of, I mean, one of the things that is, Really obvious the more I talk to female founders is how hard it is to access funding for that startup. And it's great that you had that line of credit. I know awful that you had to pay it back in some ways, but great that you had that ability to rent somewhere, hire a couple of people and get started. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to be able to pay myself something, you know, to sort of start with. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, and I remember at the time it, it was weird. It's weird the things you remember. I remember, you know, a bank person telling me, Oh, it's not a very good time to start a business. I'm like, well, thanks. I don't know what I need to say. <laughs> I might go to a different bank. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Second, somebody else, I remember it's another sort of seemingly expert who could help me was like, Oh, well, you haven't actually got that much money to start with. And I was like, well, thanks. You know, don't, yeah. don't know if well, I really the, want to be There's more. always people that think it's not possible. Yeah. But I have to say when I was working in the UK, I found over there that people just wouldn't take any risks. So they probably loved that there was somebody Antipodean, as they would say, to come over and give it a go because a lot of English people won't go with that kind of risk. They're like, no, 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 I want that salary. Yeah. So good on you. Yeah. So it was, you know, and that was, you know, the first year was very, very, very hard because um, obviously I didn't have any clients and I'd always, I'd go out for like lunch with people and they'd be like, oh, so, you know, how's it all going? You'd be like, yeah, sort of, just sort of skirt around <laughs> Smoke it. Smoke and mirrors. Thing. All fine. All fine. All fine. You got this meeting with someone. So was so. that just you and the laptop at that stage? Did yeah. you get yourself an office or were yeah, you working kind I, of I did mobile? have an office in Surrey Hills, like a shared space. Um and, you know, I would, you know, go and knock on everybody. We had sort of little cubicles kind of thing, go and knock on people's doors to sort of make friends with them and network and, you know, get my head around things. And, you know, remembering I, I left because in the UK as a senior account director, I wasn't responsible for, you know, yes, I was responsible for pitching, but I certainly wasn't responsible for every facet of the business, let alone, no. you know, starting an agency from scratch and a brand in another market. So, so what were the rude shocks? What were the things that you went, whoa, like employing people is always, um, you know, with all the stuff that's around it yeah, and the utilities. Think, yeah. And the other thing I always thought was commercial property and how you have to pay their rates for them. <laughs> totally. And, you know, I guess I was quite, I felt quite lucky at the time that, you know, I started when, you know, we'd, we'd always been in shared spaces. So we've all, you know, we'd always, we started cloud-based. So a lot of probably the barriers to entry when I started the business were at that sort of good time to be able to, yeah. to do that for things to be relatively cost-effective. Um, probably the rude shocks were just, oh, that people are really nice, but they don't really say what they mean, you know? And I think that, you know, you have these meetings where, you know, I think, like the client on the receiving end might be thinking that they're being really nice to you just by saying, you know, it's like, please don't say that you're going to, there's going to be a next step if you're not going to do that. Like that's, I found that, I found that very difficult because I was, you know, and, you know, sort of six months, you know, eight months, sort of 12 months in when things are just, you know, when you're like, is this really And they're still happen? stringing you along, you yeah. know, each time you call, they're going, yeah, yeah, no, it's not going to be long and let's do lunch anyway or whatever. It's, it's hard. So what was, what was the first client and how did that feel? Um, f amazing. The first big, big one. Yeah. The first <laughs> big one that we had, because I had an, I had a client who'd come over from, um, who'd also moved at the same time as me and he'd sort of got me so, like some small gigs, um, with one of the bigger utilities now, but the first big win, which, which we made was actually with Carlton United Breweries. And, um, that was, you know, a huge, huge, huge pitch. It was sort of, I'd had somebody on secondment over to work with me for a few months from the UK and she had actually gone home by this stage. So it was literally just me. And then I got her sort of on the tissue call, dialing in in the middle of the night from the UK to sound like it wasn't just me. And was CUB saying, you know, are you a well-established company? Are you going to be able well, to do this? Or were they looking for someone small and neat? No, they, no, they were definitely buying somebody bigger than just me at that <laughs> stage. You know, you know, you never just say you're one person kind of thing. And there was always more than one person. Because on when line. I was when I was in London, there was an agency that I worked with for about four years that used to, and and I've never seen it in Australia really. And they did come over here, and it didn't work. I can't. 
can't remember what they were called, maybe market partners or something. But the idea was that if you were doing a pitch like that, you could employ a whole lot of senior people to pitch for the work with you and then you'd employ them if you got the job and if you didn't, you could get rid of them. But that way you kind of look like a big company when you go in. And there's nothing really like that here, is there? No, no, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, when I did pitch for them, I had um, my staffing agency at the time who would have delivered the work. They came into the pitch with me and we um, pitched out, we pitched our absolute heart out, you know, so much so that, you know, when uh, the clients called up, uh, they said, oh, you know, put it on speakerphone, you know, sort of thing. And I was like, what speakerphone to myself? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the three of them sort of got on the line and they just said, you know, it was just the, the best pitch we've ever had kind of thing. We'd absolutely love to work with you. And it was just like oh, this, fantastic. you know, just this amazing moment. And we'd actually, I had actually had a bit of a hand getting in there, which was through an ex-client of mine kind of thing. But, you know, people can open doors, but you win the business. Like that's, that's, that's the reality Oh, God, it, yes, absolutely. Know? Like people, like, cause also, you know, the, no one can really strong arm people into business these days. You know, maybe they no, and, the, and people are so risk averse anyway, that even if the, even if you come with a really strong recommendation, they're still going to go, eek, what if that, you know, what if? So they're going to be, um, there's going to be lots of reasons why they wouldn't. So it's a, it's a, that's a huge, I remember winning things when I worked in agencies and the excitement of, yes, thank you very much, client, clunk, and going, ah! I <laughs> know, oh, exactly. And so then, uh, you know, uh, ironically, that work actually didn't end up going ahead, but they paid all of our fees for like oh, the pitch and a wow. little bit more because I think they, I think they sort of got that that was, you know, a bit of a monumental, but, you know, moment for us. But after that brief started to flow, um, but in all honesty, that was probably, you know, that, that, that CUB win was sort of huge. And then, after that, um, but they were based in Melbourne, so I'll come back to that. After that, um, we then, uh, you know, somehow I, you know, spotted an opportunity with Woolworths and we started working with them on some sort of test and learn kind of community programs. And, you know, just really for me, it was always about trying to spot an opportunity of where we could add value and be very proactive and creating a proposal and, you know, that answers a real problem. And, you know, the, the from there, we grew Woolworths and we won all their agricultural show work. And, you know, to this day, they're, you know, we've always had a wonderful relationship with Woolworths. People always say, people often say, oh, you know, oh, it must be horrible working with Woolworths, a big horrible corporate. And I'm like, honestly, we've had such a good, good relationship with them. I really enjoy the people that we work with. My team do. We feel proud to work with them. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I'm, I'm sort of of the view that you reap what you sow kind of thing. And I'm under no illusions that those, relationships can turn sour quickly with corporates so that of course they do have a choice. Well it's all about the people really isn't it? Yeah. I mean I, the, I actually am hearing really good things about Woolworths. I had an interview with someone last week and they said that there was a guy at Woolworths who championed their brand right the way pre-manufacturing yeah. through and then listed them in 650 stores and I said that's almost unheard of. I thought they were all assholes basically in there and she said no no not the Woolworths ones. So you're pretty much saying the same lovely people. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we, we had good, good wins with Woolworths. Um, so CUB, the mistake that we made probably with them on, on my, in our early days, and it's interesting, we're now working with them, um, again, is that, you know, I was based in Sydney. Um, we should have opened an office in Melbourne quickly kind of thing. I was sort of flying between and that was totally fine, but, um, you know, it's difficult to build relationships, you know, true relationships. And, you know, they were going through a big change period themselves. So, you know, if I know what I know now, you know, we 
should have put somebody on the ground very quickly. But at that stage, you know, we were a four-person team. I was still account directing everything. It was, you know, there was there was a lot. I was in the business a lot, not so much on it kind of now. So, um, which so, so now that we're working with CUB um, again, because we, we have an office in Melbourne, it feels, you know, even though the work that we're doing with them is in no way related to the work that we did with them, you know, yonks ago kind of thing. For me, it feels like a bit of a lovely sort of full circle because, you know, again, yeah. you know, clients to be absolutely so proud to work with, you know, and again, you know, they you know, seem like really lovely people as well. So I think, you know, we have in the agency, we subscribe to the no dickhead policy kind of thing and try not to work with people that are going to be toxic for our team. And honestly, the clients that we work with, we've, we've got great relationships and like, that's probably why I love what I do, like the people. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I worked in your industry for probably 10 or 15 years and I just loved the people. And it's such a dynamic, exciting kind of um, business to be in, advertising and marketing and all that kind of thing. My brother um, runs a big agency and I often look at him and go, I mean, I remember a lot of people used to burn out quite quickly because it's very long hours, as I recall. Are you still putting in... Yeah. You know, pretty long hours. Yeah, I do. But, you know, I, I don't... You love I, it. I, yeah, I love it. And I don't really count it because I think, you know, it does energize me. There are obviously times when I am tired um, and, you know, sometimes it's tired because I'm doing the, the things which aren't, you know, aren't so good for me. And I, But I think that, you know, when you start becoming more confident in your role and your leadership, you start understanding the things that actually I should delegate that because A, I'm not very good at it and B, I really don't enjoy it and that's not going to give me any, you know, joy or bring me any energy for me to do the things that I should be doing and am good at. And I think that, you know, I think when you're the leader, you probably have a slightly more luxury in those sort of decisions. But I do think though that the in saying that, I do think about you should play to people's strengths. And I say that with, with our team as well, that, you know, if somebody's not so confident at something, you know, and they're not, it's just not a, you know, you, of course you can coach them and things like that. But sometimes you should just accept this person, this is their strength, this is their superpower, this is their strength and, and play to that. Yeah, really, really good advice. And obviously, you're a very good boss if you think like that. So talk to me about the journey all along. So you've had this thing as a as a woman setting up an ad agency. I'm not saying that you didn't have that support overseas and how tough it is. But have there been some pivotal moments along the way where it's kind of changed things or where you've learned something and thought, well, obviously the CUB one's a great example, but have there been any others that you would be up for sharing? Yeah, I think, you know, very early in on the relationship, um, we have always done our own um, in-house promotional staffing kind of thing so that we can control the end product. And, you know, it's probably not as big a part of our business now, obviously, because of COVID. So when um, you say promotional staff, do you mean the, the girls who serve at yeah. things or go out to events? Yeah, so the people who the event managers the people on the ground so people have always been very important to us to control the delivery early on and on the piece we um we partnered up with another agency to do that and you know the reality is that when push comes to shove and things aren't going well it's very i can't turn around and say to them well i can and i did you know to pull your socks up this isn't good enough kind of thing because they can just turn around and what they did was just say well we don't want to work on this anymore because this isn't very fun and i was like fun 
fun. We've got like a half a million dollar campaign, which we're halfway through and you're deciding that it's not fun anymore. And it was another fellow business owner who'd started an agency, you know, and I was just like fun, you know, because, you know, I'm very resilient, you know, when, when the going gets tough, you know, I'll, I'll dig in and I'll, you know, we're not going to give up kind of thing, yeah. you know, and we're not going to be sort of like blind fighting in the trenches sort of thing. But, you know, just because somebody's, something's hard doesn't mean that you walk away. But, you know, for me, that proved why that's so important that you can't you can't outsource that sort of function. But B, just be very careful about who you partner up with. Oh yes, that is really good advice. Yes, yeah, so so sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. That's right. Just our values were with me. not aligned <laughs> um, at all. Yeah, our values were not. That was not good, and that was you know that was a moment of. You know, everything's starting to go really well now. And now I've basically got a supplier who doesn't want to work on it because his team doesn't want to work on it. And he's such a wet fish that he can't turn around and tell his team that actually we just need to, you know, we just need to get it, get it. We just need to pull your socks up and just get it done. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and also like look at like what's the learning curve here of like what are we doing wrong? If we keep doing the things that we're doing wrong, you know, that whole, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over. So that was a, you know, and I'm a very, oh, just lost my headphones. Uh, I'm a very trusting person. So, um, you know, I don't naturally, and, and I still, to this day, I'm not a person who off the back of that is sudden, like really sort of wary, but I guess, you know, I do quickly, I probably just get a bit more of a quick steer on those sort of things on, you know, before you, you know, sort of put your trust in somebody else, you know, just make sure that you have got the, you've got the same vision of what success looks like and what you would do to deliver something, you know, I don't give up. And, and no, no, I think that, and I actually think that is the, probably the number one thing about being a successful entrepreneur is not to give up Yeah. because yeah. so many things will happen along the way. And, you know, lots of people give up and if you give up, then it's over. Whereas you just have to keep plodding on and maybe innovate or try and think of a different way of doing it and definitely learn from it. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, so that, that's probably been a big sort of learning curve. Um, other positive things, probably on the positive note, was when I got my business partner in Gareth, who now heads up our Melbourne team. So recognizing that, you know, great agencies aren't just led by one person kind of thing. You need to have, you know, a, a strong sort of senior leadership team. I got a somebody to help me sort of form out what the job description of me versus them was, you know, paid them to do that. Because again, if it had been left to me, I wouldn't have done it. Um, we then did a headhunting search through a, like an executive sort of search agent kind of thing. So that was like paying somebody $25,000. I remember, I still remember how much oh, it was. Ouchio. So how much it was, you know, it's pretty much up front. For them I hope just, he's good. I'm glad he's good because you would be spewing otherwise. Totally. So, you know, all that, but they, but that was the game changer, you know, when Gareth joined the business because Gareth had had his own agency before. He wasn't looking for another one, but the recruiter sort of knew. And so he, he got got you know he, he got where what type of business we were and fortunately you know we have we have a really 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 strong partnership we've got different strengths and weaknesses um the values alignment is there and that was just a pivotal moment and again I speak to people and they're like oh I just don't know whether I could share my business with somebody else I don't I just don't know whether I could bring somebody else in and like all they ever speak about the negative the negative the negative I'm like well if you keep talking like that you're never going to attract somebody good into your life no. and into your business you know whereas I definitely was open to you know needing somebody to help come in and help help me grow it 
um, you know, and Gareth has been sort of fundamental to that. And, you know, I think that, you know, like we've, we really love working with each other. Um, if he was here, he'd say the same thing. (laughs) I'll believe you. I'm sure he would. You sound like you're fun to work with anyway. All right. So this podcast, because it's all about women in business, um, I always ask this question and you don't have to answer it, but it sounds like you will be able to. Are there any women that have helped you along the way that you want to do a bit of a shout out about how they helped you? Uh, yeah, well, definitely Sharon Ritchie. She's my business partner and founder. So I think that, you know, she's my mentor to this day. How, how long had she had because in the UK when you met her? Um, Probably about fifteen years, but it had been. Oh, it, okay. But it had. It, it, she started as she's a serial entrepreneur. It is starting as a sort of modelling agency, and then it became a promotional staffing agency. Then it became um, it moved into experiential and sort of. So you know, she's a classic sort of innovator kind of thing. Um, yeah. So we hadn't been because all of that time, only for the last sort of few years. So you know, Sharon's my um, mentor and guide, and you know, she's great fun, and you know, she, all the leadership values I sort of glean from her. Um, there's probably other, there's, there's several women. I think, yeah, Karen Madden, who I worked with, um, at Woolworths, um, she was sort of group head of marketing there and then she went to News Corp. Oh, so she was, she was the clincher really as to why you enjoyed it. Was it that you just got on really well with, and it's nice to have other women? Yeah, well, actually it was, it was a weird one because I didn't really know Karen particularly well and we were having some issues with the account and, I, and Karen still recalls it to this day. I took her out for breakfast one day in Melbourne and I was very, very nervous. So I had to say that, you know, there was some toxic things going down and, you know, and I was, we were not happy and it was, you know, we were feeling very, very, very vulnerable, you know, in our position. And, you know, the first thing that she did was just like, no way. I can't, she's like, I cannot believe this is happening. This is totally unacceptable. I'm, you know, thank you for telling me kind of thing. And oh, I think that, brilliant. You know, it was just such a, and from there, we've just had this, awesome relationship and I really admire her and I think that you know when I see women in the sort of the corporate world I and knowing it's actually really hard for them and I think that you know the the more ballsy you are and the more you're up there the more open the the more the more challenging it is and I've always really admired Karen is you know strong and girl boss fierce but also she's just such a great laugh and you know and I think that and a nice person and a nice person and you know for me that's you know it just it gave me the having that conversation with Karen that day she might not know but that gave me so much confidence in knowing when to speak up and that you know that it's in you know that whole thing of a client uh relationship it shouldn't be a master slave and you know we were feeling like the slave at that point and you know and speaking up and her being so cool open and like not at like not at all intimidated or she didn't take on any of that sort of shit it just it it just became an exemplar like it became like that's an exemplary you know client relationship in terms of when you go to the leader and have a conversation with them that they really difficult one yeah a difficult one and they really listen to you so and karen's yeah that's the best response you could ever have hoped for that she would say no we won't have anyone in our business doing that to you rather than going oh well you need to sort out your staff or you've got a problem there or which yeah, or just say, oh, that's just do. the way it is kind of thing. I'm sorry, you know, the, you know, fit in or if, you know, like it, it could have, you just know it could have gone that way. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're probably, you know, two, two, two very different people who've you know, helped me in, in different ways who I admire. Oh, well, thank you. Um, okay, so how do you juggle work and life when you're running four, what is it, four agencies, did you say three. now, including <laughs> – <laughs> three and uh, and presumably you've got some kind of personal life as well so what sort of hours are you putting in how are you doing the juggle 
Okay, so once um, when I had my two, I've got two kids, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. We've always had live-in help um, for a start because yeah. both my husband and I aren't from Australia, so we've got no family support around. So first of all, that. Um, yeah. Second of all, my husband used to travel a lot for work, so um, obviously now not not so much at the moment. But we've always had very sort of strict timetables around the way that we work. So Mondays and Tuesdays, I do very long days because um, once you're up, you're up and, you know, kind of thing. Um, Wednesdays, I do a bit of a shorter day so that I can have a little bit of time with the kids on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, invariably, there's calls and things. So the, the team will be like, have you got the kids around? I'll be like, yeah, it's fine now. And then I'll hear them. <laughs> be running. quick. Yeah, be quick kind of thing. Um, and then Thursday and Friday, I just do normal hours. So look, you know, there is sometimes I, I'm a better morning person than I am evening person. Um, often I'm on conference calls to our UK office in the evening. Uh, but honestly, you know, I definitely, I think, when I first sort of, when things started kicking off, I had an amazing non-exec director, Elizabeth Buchanan, who um, I worked with, you know, just helped sort of guide and shape the business. And she just sort of talked about that whole sort of wheel of life, you know, kind of thing around, you know, it's never going to be quite balanced. Like sometimes your business is going to need more of you. And then you're going to know that sometimes your family is going to need more of you and that you're just sort of constantly sort of weighting the scales in different ways. And I kind of subscribe to that because, you know that when you've got a breather in the business that, you know, you might just be able to take a little bit more of a week of like a, and, and that might not be less hours, it just might be less sort of mental intensity in terms of yes. like how engaged and how worried or, you know, how into it you are. Um, but yeah, I think that, so yeah, I think that for me, there's definitely long and hours. And you keep your weekend, weekends are for family pretty much. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, I, Occasionally I might um, leave some stuff which annoys me until the Sunday night, you know, if I've done that because future me isn't very happy. <laughs> future me is not thanking myself <laughs> on those sort of ones. Um, but usually there'll be things which are tasks which I don't mind doing in sort of front of the TV kind of thing. I won't be doing anything taxing. But no, def- definitely not. I think that, you know, you need to have a life. Like, And I, th- I think it's yeah. hard to be seven days on as well. Well, it, well, it's interesting because as part of um, the She's the Boss lunches, which I do every Friday, we have a lot of very successful women in there. And we had one lunch one day and I literally looked because it's a Zoom lunch. So I looked at the top row of women and every single one of them had had worked so hard that their body had broken down. It was just this weird thing yeah. that I suddenly had that snapshot of how bad stress is if you don't give yourself a break. And these women... All of them either, either had PTSD or, or um, immune issues or whatever and could never work again in the way that they did because they pushed their bodies and their mental health so far. So it was a big learn for me where I just thought, wow, real women, and I'm listening to stories of them just not being able to get out of bed for a year. Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, you just can't do that. And I, I'd like, I, for me, I know that, you know, the, you know, just making sure that on a Sunday I'll book in my exercise classes for the week, just if, I, if they're not, if things aren't in the diary, they don't happen. So yeah. I don't know, somehow you manage to make it work. I think that, you know, and, I don't know. I, yeah. I remember meeting a marketing director a couple of years ago and he was like very senior and obviously I was quite nervous about it. And the first thing he said, he said, Meredith, I've got all the time in the world, you know, and it just, you know, but to me, I just took that. that He was a very <laughs> present person. He was just like, he was like, you know, don't feel like you need to rush or anything like that. And I think that, you know, we should, we all need to take that into our own lives and just stop the cult of being busy and, you know, sort of. Yeah. Being busy for busy. Yeah. Busy for busy's sake is just silly. Yeah, and sometimes it's just talking and that's why, you know, we do like in our team, we do like a red, amber, green of whether we're, um, whether we are, you know, 
you know, wood, feeling all right. Wood, yeah, red oils are falling off, you know, amber kind of okay, green we can help. And I think just also just checking in with yourself would be like, okay, last week I was really red, but actually this week I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah, great. Reevaluating that. Okay, uh, now we're on to the silly stuff, really. So I've now, I love hearing about your story. What an amazing woman you are. So now we're just going into things about apps. And my last question, which is, is the, well, I'll ask you about the apps afterwards. But my last question about you is, is there a quirky fact about you that you don't often share with people that you'd, you're up for sharing? Because I've heard some absolute crackers. Uh, yeah, but- <laughs> Not really a quirky fact, but and it's probably it's like totally like not right because of cultural appropriation. Now, um, I used to have dreadlocks, so you know. So, and I... No, that's very cool. And uh, presumably, you they were they got were they gone by the time you moved into Adland, or did you have them? Ah, uh, yeah, no, they're gone by then. But I had them in my first job in, in radio, and obviously, I felt very you know cool working at a you know commercial radio station and you know really raging. Yeah, with the dreads. Oh, yeah, that's a great image. Platinum, platinum dreadlocks that are telling them that I wasn't really interested in playing Kylie Minogue on the radio. <laughs> sort of thing. But, yeah, these days now, um, you know, but I remember at the time my friend saying, oh, look, if there's a little part of you that wants to get dreadlocks, get them now. Don't, do, don't wait until you're, like, 30. Yeah, good point, good point. Okay, now my last couple of questions about apps on your phone because I personally love my telephone. In fact, I do almost all my work off my phone. Um, and you don't have, you know, uh, some people use their funds, some don't. But do you use it for business? And if you do, what are your favourite useful apps? And you're not allowed to say banking or social because I'm going to take that as a given. Uh, Garmin for um my Garmin, obviously, that's down at the moment. And then what else do I use? Garmin's their fitness one, a fitness tracker thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then, I'm not sure, probably Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, do, you, do, do you play on your phone as well? Do you have any fun player apps? Uh, do I have any fun player apps? Uh, no. No. I think maybe the more I'm talking to all these amazing women, the more who are saying, no, no, I don't really play on my phone. I'm starting to think maybe I should stop level. I think I'm on level 3,700 or something of Candy Crash. So <laughs> might be time to stop. My kids are so embarrassed by it. It's about four years worth, though. Don't think that I've just done 3,000 games in a year. Um Okay, well, thank you so much, Meredith. It's been brilliant to speak to you. I love your story and thank you so much for sharing it. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jules. It's been oh, really, really wonderful. And before I go, how can people get hold of you? Just check me out on LinkedIn, um, Meredith Cranmer, N for Nut, N for Mother. People always get that wrong. My, my husband, it was, it was a stipulation of marriage was that I did have to take his surname, even though I used to be a Williams, which was a lot easier to spell. <laughs> it was my only real reason for wanting to hold on to the name, to be honest. <laughs> okay. And what, and what about Because? How can they get hold of Because? Or how do they find it? Becausexm.com. They can jump on the website there and you know, contact me through there. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. No worries. Thanks so much, Jules. I hope you've enjoyed this She's the Boss chat episode. It was great to have you here. You could join us for our free Zoom lunches for female founders that we hold online. Go to she'stheboss.com.au and on there you can register for the lunches and I've also got links to the website. So either way, I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying digging down and getting down to the nitty gritty with these women and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Thank you.